Hi everyone, the Energy Geoscience Podcast welcomes you to 2023. Today, my co-host Autumn Hagsma and I will be interviewing Dr. Munir Raji. I'm so excited for you to tune in because Dr. Raji is a special friend of ours. Dr. Raji is the Sustainable Geoscience Research Fellow, Sustainable Earth Institute of the University of Plymouth. She is a British Nigerian geoscientist working as a Sustainable Geoscience and Natural Capital Research Fellow at the University of Plymouth, United Kingdom. Dr. Munir's work involves engaging with global scientific community to advocate geoscience for sustainable development and human progress. Her research focuses on the nexus of sustainability of natural resources, which includes affordable and clean renewable energy, responsible extraction of critical minerals, and the management of natural carbon. Geoscience for Sustainable Development Goals, and Geoscience Diplomacy. In addition, Dr. Munira is an advocate for a just energy transition for developing countries. In October this past year, so in 2022, the Geological Society of London Energy Committee awarded Dr. Munira the Early Career Energy Geoscientist Medal, which is a huge honor and award. In addition, she serves on the Society of Exploration Geophysicists Sustainability Committee and is a member of the European Geoscience Union Equality, Diversity, Inclusion Committee. So that is just an amazing background. So thank you, Munira, so much for being here today. We're really happy to have you. Thank you very much. And uh, thank you, Raquel and Ojun, for inviting me. I'm really, really pleased to be here today. Thank you so much. I know it's a bit early and late for you, and um, I'm really happy uh, you guys uh, took the time to. Thank you for joining us. The first question I want to ask about is is around science diplomacy. If you can explain to our listeners what science diplomacy is and why it's important. Yeah, thanks for that question, Arthur. Um I get asked that a lot. Um, for, for me, I, I still haven't found a single definition for science diplomacy. When you ask uh, different people, especially diplomats, people who work in science, diplomacy, or policy, they sort of tend to define it in a different way. But for me, I think um, it's an increasing role science play in global policy and diplomacy. So uh, science diplomacy is just is, is more than just um, international collaboration with scientists from different countries. I mean, we do that. We are scientists, so we collaborate with um, scientists from different countries. But science diplomacy is just is more than that. It's sort of a applying science cooperation to build, to build bridges, bridges, establish a, a relationship among nations, trying to uh, solve uh, common global challenges that we face in the 21st century. Some of the benefit of science diplomacy is a country science policy can be implemented to benefit other countries. Like, for example, you have a, a, a climate change diplomacy and energy diplomacy. And so when scientists uh, like you and I come together to sort of collaborate on projects that benefit each of, each of our countries, we're sort of practicing science diplomacy, which is uh, uh, bringing to scientists from different countries together to work on uh, energy, energy research, renewable energy research, uh, climate change research, environmental uh, research, and on um, mineral resource research. So it's all, all of it. I mean, we used to call that like um, just uh, collaboration, writing papers together or doing projects together. 
but there is diplomacy to that, and I and I think it's really important to point that out. Thank you. It's that international collaboration to me. You know, similar goals is is fundamental to、uh, progress the science. The unique thing about science diplomacy is that it has the power to sort of transcend cultural and natural、uh, religion boundaries, because、uh, science sort of provides a neutral and free environment for us to sort of exchange ideas. Like、uh, one thing I find really unique about science diplomacy is that science is universal, so there's no political agenda.、Uh, scientific truth is basically. What really helps science diplomacy? Because、uh, whatever science you find here, it's going to be the same science you're going to find in Africa.、Mm-hmm. You know, so the, 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 that's the, that's the one of the unique thing I really like about science diplomacy. I've never thought about it that way. That's incredible. Thank you for sharing that.、Mm-hmm. So, Monira, I have a question for you.、Uh, since you are an expert in the energy transition. What do you consider to be realistic for the energy transition? For example, a common question people ask is why we can't just stop oil and gas. Hmm. Well, um, that's a that's a that's a very great um and tricky question. At the same time, it's a great question because um, well, uh, we want to transition into renewable energy by uh most country like to do this. By twenty thirty, twenty fifty, but um, a realistic energy transition will require oil and gas to remain a significant part of the mix of, of energy mixes for a long time,、mm-hmm. for at least the next two to three de- decades. Because um, um, I know energy transition is gathering pace in the global south and the global north now, but it's not it's not that's not realistic in the global south. So a realistic energy transition for everyone remains. Reducing energy poverty for all,、mm-hmm. which is really hard to to do. Twenty to thirty years to get there. That's going to be really tricky if we decide not to miss this energy or、uh, have our oil and gas in the energy mixes. It's a bit tricky. Yeah, absolutely. Do you foresee、uh, the energy transition happening at different speeds depending on like which country you're in? Oh yes, definitely. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it,、uh, yeah, it, 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 yeah, it's gonna be a different pace for each,、uh, every country, especially、uh, developing country.、Mm. We shouldn't expect them to urgently adapt to similar pathway to、uh, developing countries, because,、uh, like I said, there's still energy poverty, and so it's it's not. You can't ask people to stop using what they have, what the, the resources they have, to 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 buy energy for their citizen. Mm-hmm. And tell them no, you have to stop using it when they don't have alternative, or even even if they have alternative, because I know,、uh, like Sub-Saharan Africa has a a, a lot of、uh, renewable energy、uh, sources that they haven't even started looking at, but they don't have the finances to to start looking at that.、Mm-hmm. But they already have a、uh, oil and gas、uh, facility in place and coal as well to 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 export these uh, uh, energy resources. So it's. Tricky to say. Oh, stop using it completely,、mm-hmm. and、uh, move to renewable energy. Yep. It's yeah. um yeah. Thank you so much for that honest、um, answer. I really appreciate it. Can you tell us about energy poverty and environmental justice, and perhaps reflect on its importance in the energy transition? Oh,、uh, thank you very much, Ajun, for that question. Um, 
I'm sure you're aware, across the globe, nearly one billion people live without access to electricity. And about six million of them are all based in sub-Saharan Africa. Mm -hmm. So that's about 57% of the population living without, with limited or no electricity at all. So that's that's just a uh, glary energy injustice. That's just mm-hmm. that that's just wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's not so and, and, and electricity is not just for for, for 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 us to power our home or power our television. Electricity powers uh, a country's econ- economy. With the need for school, offices, industry and hospitals. I think it's uh, really tricky like I said to expect uh, developing countries to transition for what they really don't have yet to something that's completely new and uh, might look a bit uh, long-term. I mean, it's a long-term plan to, to, to move into uh, green energy. We don't expect them to be at the same pace as as, uh, as uh, developed countries. See, for example, the recent energy crisis in Europe where uh, when Russia sort of threatened to turn off the gas uh, supply to Europe. It just shows you how hypocritical the uh, the global north is and as soon as uh european countries like uh, uh, germany italy and france realize that okay try to reduce your energy usage and then that sort of impacts your health and well-being and all so as soon as these uh, countries realize this might happen in their country they immediately made plan to reactivate their old coal plants uh mm-hmm. old, old coal power plant for to, to sort of ensure uh there's uh, they have energy security in their country and for several years, these countries have been telling African countries to stop using coal. Mm. You know, so it's just it's just a shame that uh, energy poverty is in Africa. Nobody cares about that. Mm-hmm. But as soon as uh, uh, that's going to happen in Europe, everybody just said, "Okay, you know what? Mm-hmm. Let's go back to 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 using coal again." Yeah. So I, I feel like um, yeah, it's always it's it's never going to be a just transition if uh, we're leaving other people behind all uh, constantly. Thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, I've noticed, because I follow you on Twitter closely, and I really enjoy your tweets, um, that you've attended some really amazing international forums and events at the end of 2022. So I think you were at the World Economic Forum and United Nations. Uh, Could you share with our audience what some of the critical issues that were being discussed at those events that you attended? Oh, uh, thanks for that. Um, so uh, in November, I I was at uh, COP27 for uh, in Egypt for uh, the climate change conference of the party conference. In uh, most of the discussion is what's around uh, uh, net zero target, around uh, um, abandonment of fossil fuel, and then um, there were there were a lot of discussions around uh, damage financing, and that was eventually agreed upon where uh, countries are. Uh, so, so where countries that sort of uh, get uh, uh, most of this um, devastation from um, severe climate disasters suffer the most, uh, especially in uh, low-income countries. So uh, these countries all decide, you know, we need to be compensated for for this uh, for these damages. So there was, um, the, the, and, and that, that's sort of the, the loss and damage of financing discussion has been going on for a very long time. I think for over ten years now, mm-hmm. and. Yeah, and so finally, uh, I think at, at this COP27, uh, they sort of reached an agreement to say, okay, we're going to be contributing to, to countries and communities that have suffered uh, uh, severe climate disasters. And then, uh, so that was uh, a, a very high uh, discussion around that. 
and then there were there were discussion around um, mitigation and trying to move away from mitigation to adaptation, and uh, trying to help countries transition into clean and uh, uh, affordable and uh, renewable energy. And then there were there were a lot of discussions around people uh, how much countries sort of commit to renewable energy research, um, which is where uh, my, my my area is. Um, I, I remember on the day of uh, the energy energy day uh, at COP27, there were a lot of discussion around. Oh, like okay, uh, we need to stop mining and mm -hmm. and using fossil fuel. And then uh, I remember trying to explain to a, a few people there that that. Um, we can't com completely stop mining because we need uh, the energy, uh, we need critical mineral for the energy transition mm -hmm. to build some of the technology we need for the energy transition. And a lot of people didn't really understand that, like, okay, well, you have to stop, if we're going to stop fossil fuel, we need to stop mining as well. Yeah. So that that's um, that's a lot, there's a lot of this around that area, around that aspect where people don't sort of, uh, they just feel like, okay, um, it's mining, so it's bad for the environment completely, yeah. let's just move on from that. Yeah. But yeah, that's um. So that was a uh, cop, and then uh, at um, the World Science Forum, there was a uh, a lot of discussion around uh, science policy and science diplomacy for human progress. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, trying to get more uh, scientists to be part of the conversation, basically. Mm -hmm. So uh, a lot of these, a lot of countries have uh, they make they, they sort of uh, make policy and and science or uh, their foreign policy and even. Yeah, national policy without involving scientists who actually you know study some of this area, the, uh, uh, some of this area. So um, the discussion around uh, in, in the World Science Forum was, was about getting more science input in national, uh, national and international policy for human progress. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, it was part of a panel where we talked about science how can science help uh, human progress which is uh, looking into uh, things like uh, science diplomacy uh, uh, sustainable development goals science for sustainable development goals and then looking at um, medical medical geology mm -hmm. and the environmental injustice mm -hmm. you know for mining and uh, environmental mm -hmm. degradation mm -hmm. so it's yeah it's been a lot, it's been a really an interesting couple of months for me of uh, uh, going to all of these uh, sort of high level firm where Oh, I mean, it's, it's different. I used to read some of these things on the news, like uh, what countries are doing, how they're negotiating deals and everything. But it's so interesting to, to just be part of that conversation, like yeah. be in the room where these uh, negotiations are being made or discussions are being, being made around uh, around things that really, really like practical things that really impact uh, different countries. So yeah, it's been an interesting couple of months for me. I have another question for you. Um, I noticed that you were involved with linking the sustainable development goals to geosciences, uh, particularly in Kenya. Can you share with us what some of the key findings were? Oh, okay. Um, I, I think that that's one of my most interesting projects today because that was what really got me very much interested in uh, science policy and uh, uh, sustainable development goals. So uh, for this project, uh, I did this project at the University of Hull with uh, my uh, PI, Dr. Rebecca Williams, so and other scientists from um, from University of uh, Nairobi and uh, Kenyatta University in Kenya, and uh, other uh, scientists from from the UK. So what we did was to sort of uh, 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 look into Kenya's uh, Vision 2030 policy and look at the SDGs and see how those uh, of policy aligned with the SDGs. 
And so we sort of synthesize our key policy document to see how what sort of priority uh, governmental priority Kenya Kenya has as, at, at national and uh, country level, you know, and county level rather in the context of geoscience uh, in Kenya. And so we looked at all the uh, geoscience courses in Kenya, uh, uh, all the modules. We looked at uh, some of the training uh, available training they have, and then uh, we then go back to the the policy from the Kenya 2020 policy document and the SDGs. And then we're able to sort of find where geoscience actually, geoscience uh, uh, aligns in, in most of the uh, the policy document. And so that really helped us to, to, to go back and say, okay, uh, Kenya wants to increase uh, the uh, renewable energy emissions, for example. Kenya wants to do sustainable mining. Kenya wants to go into... Um, uh, Kenya does a lot of geothermal energy right now, and uh, well, the, the universities don't have the they don't they, they're not sort of training the, the workforce of the future. So what we did was to to look at what they have, and then look at the gap, and then sort of try to to, to, to sort, of, sort of try to find the extent of the existing uh, uh, workforce gap, future workforce gap that will help Kenya uh, deliver their vision 2030. And so we did that with um, a lot of online survey, focus interview. Uh, we went to uh, the, my, the colleagues in Kenya, went to the universities there, talked to the lecturers there, talked to the students, and even the uh, the workers, people that are just scientists that are working in, in the industry now. And so we're able to use that to sort of identify a number of gaps that need to happen, a number of gaps that was missing, and what needs to happen to, to for, for Kenya to be able to meet uh, yeah, Vision 2030 and the SDGs. And so we, we came up with different recommendations on how uh, this uh, training, uh, sustainable geoscience uh, training can be embedded into uh, geoscience curriculum in Kenya. And this is not just for Kenya. This uh, is applicable to uh, other African, not just African countries, really, other countries. Because I know uh, a few people have reached out over the years to say, oh, they want to implement that uh, in Nigeria and, and in Ghana. And we've been able to sort of talk to them about how this might benefit them if they sort of uh, have an holistic view of what they have in their country, what they teach, or the design courses they have, and then going back to, to sort of map the, the skill gap. Very interesting project that I really, really enjoyed working on. It sounds like it produced some, some very meaningful results that are you know directly applicable um, and the methodology as well. I think a lot of the, the sustainable development um, goal type of studies that I've seen didn't produce something like that out of it. So that that's incredible. Um, do you have any um, uh, publications or references that we could include on the you know, podcast posting uh, to direct people to? No, I was actually still uh, putting together uh, the, the paper from that. Um, well, yeah, the the uh, and then we we're presenting this work at the AGU in April, or the European Science Union Conference in April. I think um, our colleague in Kenya had sort of uh, in conversation with uh, the, the Kenya Educational uh, Ministry around the, about this. So you know, no, was we don't have any sort of publication around that around this now. We're just uh, putting together a, a, a paper for for this. Well, thank you so much, Munira, for being here. And thank you, Autumn, for co-interviewing her with me. Do either of you have anything else that you would uh, like to contribute before we say goodbye? 
Oh, I just want to say, really, thank you so much for this. I really, really enjoy talking to yeah. you, uh, both of you, around this. Yeah. Yeah, It's just, yeah. It, yeah, it's, it's been really interesting. Thank you so much. Yeah, anytime. It's really good thank to you. see you again and connect with you again. I feel like we have, like, once or twice a year, I'm able to check in with you, and it's just it's so nice to see how everything that you're doing each time. I feel like you've done so many things every time I talk to you, all these new things. So it's just, it's really wonderful. Oh, thank you. Thank you. This podcast has been brought to you by Energy Geoscience, a virtual forum designed to help energy geoscientists bring their skills and talents to the new emerging energy economy. The need is compelling for each of us to continue working to ensure access to affordable, reliable, sustainable, and modern energy for all. We are not a professional society, but rather a community of colleagues learning from each other and helping each other with our career endeavors. Our structure is volunteer-based, virtual, agile, and easy to access.